0: You want to feel good. If I go buy a pair of jeans or I go to a restaurant, it doesn't matter. You can get everything online. So when people come to our restaurant, we have to make sure that they have the time of their life when they go out and say, I can't wait to come back.
1: People always say you have to love what you do. You hear it a lot, but not a lot of people do it. In this industry, it's a must. It's not optional, otherwise it just doesn't work. Saudis
2: working uh, in service, it's great to see this movement being added. It changes the whole narrative, how far we can go and what we can achieve and also our our perception. My pleasure to to be invited to this beautiful restaurant. Pleasure's Um, ours. Spago, iconic uh, representation of excellence in culinary. Uh, Thank you, Mr. Sinan. Uh, CEO of Coolink, Inc. Thank for you having us much. here today. Thank you. It's a pleasure and an honor to be able to sit uh, with Mr. Spago himself. Welcome to Saudi Arabia. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here.
0: You know, it's not the first time.
2: It's not the first time. Okay. I love it here
0: in Riyadh. Uh, maybe not so much in July, but you know, the rest <laughs> of the time it's really beautiful. The nights are great. And
2: uh, now you have great food here. We most certainly do, and the the ambiance and the the interiors uh, combined with everything else is just really uh, next level. So uh, I congratulate you all, and so happy to be here and to witness this this movement that it's being created. Um, but we'd like to start with Mr. Uh, Wolfgang. Uh, what is to you the definition of culinary excellence? Like, uh, how can one? This is the topic that we're discussing today. Is how can we have this? as uh, Saudis have this feeling of creating a legacy through our culinary, through uh, creating such a great movement? Well, when I come like to Riyadh, the
0: first thing I do, I go to the farmer's market, I go to the fish market, I look what is available here, because I'm always trying to involve the whole community into our restaurants. So when we are here in Riyadh, we're going to look, for the best ingredients what Saudi can make, you know. And I know they have farms, they have fisheries, they have a lot of different things. We also import some things. And then I think uh, we try to really prepare them in our style, you know, like Spago has has a definite style. We have a lot of Saudi who come to Los Angeles and uh, to Beverly Hills and eat in our restaurant. So they are a little bit familiar with it. But I think... It's always we start with the best ingredients. Now, our main thing, too, is we are in the hospitality business. We want to make people feel good when they leave or when they are here. So it's really an important part how we treat the customers. You know, I feel like they are coming to my house. So And on top of it, they pay. So, I mean, how much better can that <laughs> laugh be?
1: <laughs> so
0: I have to be super nice. And because I love it. I love people. I love food. To me, my mother was a chef. So to me, this business is
2: what I live for. Um, Mr. Sinan, uh, how did this start? I mean, I'm seeing, mashallah, so much has been developed. How did uh, this movement of bringing excellence and in
1: culinary into? As you know, Saudi, a few years ago, launched the Vision 2030. And as part of that vision, uh, one of the biggest pillars is tourism and hospitality. There's no tourism without hospitality and there's no hospitality without food and beverage. I mean, this is a big part of our culture about how, what we do. So as part of the Riyadh season, the idea came that bringing some of the world's best restaurants, including Spago in 2019, to Saudi because Saudis travel for food. Saudis spent the last 40 years exploring the globe, traveling everywhere to try food and culture and see So they knew a lot of these restaurants. They had to travel to them. And the entertainment authority said, why don't we bring all those here? So we brought 40 plus restaurants to Riyadh during the season. And it was a massive hit. The demand was huge. Uh, Acceptance was really big. People loved it, they enjoyed it. And we saw the the opportunity to really make it part of the city. Why why just pop-ups? Global Minds, Saudi Hearts yes absolutely
2: Uh, that's quite a uh, strong and poignant mantra would you like to tell us more about it
1: yes so uh saudis generally are quite well educated very well traveled uh they we explore the globe we spent the you know a lot of time traveling and seeing i'm sure wolfgang would tell you from the 80s he's been seeing saudi customers so bringing that to saudi arabia with a global mind so we, we 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 explore, we see, we've seen a lot, we've seen almost everything. And now we wanna bring it to Saudi so that we can show the rest of the world what Saudi is without that global mindset. We, we, we wanna bring all of that to Saudi, but in a Saudi way with Saudi culture, Saudi traits, not just as is and copy and paste. So it's, it's all about Saudi hospitality with a global mindset. Brilliant. Uh, Mr. Wolfgang, um, I particularly remember there was
2: um, one article that was talking about how Joan Collins wanted a uh, salmon with brioche. Uh, and at that time, you had run out of bread, for example, and you decided that, you know what, let's create something. From, uh, and then from there, the, the iconic pizza with smoked salmon uh, came, to, came, came to life. Yeah. So, no... <laughs> I think it's
0: interesting because often innovation comes out of necessity, you know. I don't dream at night and say, I'm going to make this this way or whatever, you know. When I'm in the kitchen, when I'm doing things, I said, okay, I'm going to go this way or that way. You know, you have so many different directions you can take. And the perfect example is the, the smoked salmon uh, pizza, what we make at Spago with caviar and everything. So we used to make smoked salmon in a restaurant and serve it very traditional, like you get in every big hotel with toast and uh, a little cream with dill on the side and maybe some capers or so. And then uh, one day, Joan Collins is a very good customer of ours for 40 years. And uh, so she used to come late at night and eat smoked salmon and uh, toast. And uh, we ran out of bread. No more bread, no more brioche. And uh, was... 11 o'clock at night. And I said, okay, I'm just gonna cook some pizza dough in the oven with a little onions on top, some olive oil, and I baked it, cut it in wedges, and send it out with a smoked salmon. And while I was doing that, uh, sending it out, I said, oh, I'm just gonna try to put it all together. So I made one more, I stretched one more dough, put olive oil on it, some onions on top, and then baked it nice and crispy, and then took it out put a crème fraîche with dill and a little lemon on top of the dough and the cold-smoked salmon on top, a little caviar, a little chives. And then I cut it, I sliced it, and I said, oh, my God, this is like a perfect combination, better than the toast, (laughs) because it has also the hot and the cold, the soft and the crunchiness. And I said, you know, sometimes it's almost you think it's an accident,
2: but you had to think about it. And what usually is uh, your, uh, you said that you don't have a creative process, but is there a specific manner in which you get inspired or you, you create a dish, for example? Well, I think I create, but we all create
0: together. Like, Tetsu made a dish here, like similar, like a pastilla in Morocco is one of the most famous dishes, one of my favorite. And last night I came here and Tetsu made one, he made it for Sinan a few days ago already. He made like a pastilla with lamb and rice and dates and everything inside. It was super delicious. And I said, you know, Moroccan can have their own pastilla, but we're going to make an even better one. (laughs) (laughs) So it's going to be the Saudi pastilla. So, you know, the culinary uh, field has really gone global. And a lot of ideas come from different countries. But then you
2: make it your own. This is really brilliant, uh, Mr. Sinan. Especially uh, seeing how there's interpretations of local Saudi fusion. Uh, what, what kind of uh, what kind of steps are being taken? It seems like there's there's already a, a
1: beginning of localized. Uh, absolutely. So uh, my Mr. Wolfgang Puck. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. So my my second favorite is uh, we got some uh, organic dates from local organic dates from a farm nearby and gave them to Chef Kamal. Next day, he says, come, I'd like you to try something. And he gave, gives me a date lolly. Yeah. And I'm like, what is this? He said, "This is we just created this out of the dates you gave us. Yeah. I tried it. It was one of the best desserts I've ever had. It's basically like a date lolly with cream, cold cream. It's like phenomenal. So, yes, I mean, five days in and we've already created multiple. <laughs> yeah,
0: we're going to make a whole new Saudi cuisine, a fusion cuisine. And that's the way I see the world. We want... Really, to bring people together at the table, like the way they used to do it, you know. It doesn't have to be pure French or pure Italian or pure Saudi. We can mix it a little bit. You still want to get the flavor. You know, like if you come here, you taste the cumin, the dates, the pine nuts, whatever we have here. And then we prepare it in our fashion. So that way you say, wow, I never thought about that, but it's so delicious.
2: I'm going to come back and eat it again. I have been following you for social media for some, quite some time. And you mentioned that uh, innovation is integral. Um, yeah. This is part of innovation. But when you, when you say innovation also, how, how do you see innovation in culinary? And how can people be uh, more innovative in their approach? You know? Well, you know, I feel like in a restaurant and cooking, it's great to
0: have tradition and innovation mixed together. Just like here in this country, you have a great tradition of certain things. Like Ramadan, for me, it's a great tradition. Why? Because the families, they all get together. They enjoy a meal together. So that should never go away. That should be always like that. But then the rest of the 11 months, if you go to restaurants, you get really interesting food and from different countries. And it's good also through food to learn the culture of different countries.
1: When I think of uh, California cuisine, only one name comes to mind, Spago. Uh, I can't think of anything else that says California cuisine. So uh, I would like for us to also create a real cuisine. Yeah, uh, I think. Gender cuisine, we have to, because that is what Wolfgang does.
0: Yeah, I I think we can, because when I opened Spago 40 years ago, You know, I did French food. I was born on the border of Italy and everything. But then I looked at the people who live in L.A. It's so multicultural. You know, you have little Tokyo. You have Chinatown. You have uh, Koreatown. You have little India. I mean, you have all these different parts of the world because uh, uh, U.S. is an immigrant country. You know, people come from all over the world. So I said, maybe our cooking should reflect a little bit the culture's we have in our city. So why not have some uh, Latin dishes on the menu? Why not have some Japanese dishes on the menu? So when I started Spargo, I did all that stuff and people loved it. So they came from different parts, but then I had to give it a name because the press always wants a name. It said, what do you call it? So I said, I just call it California cuisine. And I wrote on a menu. I designed the first menu myself. I wrote California cuisine. And at the beginning, everybody said, what the heck is California cuisine? And now it has become slowly a cuisine which
2: is accepted by other cuisines. Absolutely. A form of cultural identity also that comes with the cuisine itself, which is actually a very interesting uh, movement where you create uh, a sense of identity. And uh, you know, When they say that um, history or, or culture can be seen as, as, as primitive, I don't. I think it gives us a stronger sense of identity and it reiterates uh, our identity and it irritates what, what uh, the substance is all about. But um, Michelin stars. So uh, I, I, I imagine we're going to be seeing a lot of Michelin stars and more Michelin stars in Saudi uh, yeah. through Mr. Wolfgang. Um, how many Michelin stars, mashallah, have you achieved? Well, we have Michelin stars in Singapore,
0: in Los Angeles, in uh, London, you name it. But- it's really not what is important to me. You know, if I want to make a three-star restaurant, we just make it as big as this room here, have 20 seats and we can make three stars easily because we have the talent. But what we want people when they come to our restaurant to experience great food, a great ambiance, but also they can have fun. You know in a three-star restaurant you sit there everybody is quiet and everything. I don't like that. I'm too young for that, I think.
1: So, <laughs> so what I Absolutely.
0: like, what I like that it has some noise, but that you feel like you're at a party, you know, without getting crazy, but quiet, you can eat at home. You can have the food sent from Spargo to your house and you eat at home, but it's not the same. We are supposed to be with people, you know, to interact, to see people. That's what makes life
2: exciting. And speaking of uh, people, and um, Mr. Wolfgang is synonymous with the Oscars. Uh, we have the Red Sea here as well, you know, so uh, maybe we can see a, a synergy with the Red Sea Film Festival. Uh, how did this kind of come about? Literally, you're, I mean, you think Oscars, immediately we think Mr. Wolfgang. How did this come about? Well, when I opened Spargo
0: 40 years ago, we always did an Oscar party. There was a famous agent, de Lazare. He did a party, and only the biggest stars were uh, invited. You know, it was, at that time, Elizabeth Taylor and Cary Grant and Paul Newman and Mike Douglas and uh, all these people. And the younger one, like Sharon Stone was young at that time, you know? And uh, so there were many other ones, like Madonna. I remember Madonna when And she Michael Jackson,
2: to... Jackson, that picture of you yeah. and Michael Jackson. Yeah,
0: so I think it was so different. So then, when Swifty passed on, Uh, The Academy asked me, Wolfgang, why you don't do our uh, Oscar party after the ceremony? Because it seems like all the stars want to eat your food. You know, when we do the party, nobody shows up. (laughs) So we did the first party. And I had a friend, a very famous agent at that time, Mike Owitz, And he said, if you are doing the Oscar party, I will bring all my clients. And he had the biggest stars, you know. Everybody from Warren Beatty to Papa and they were all his customers, his clients. So they all came to the party and then it took off and says, okay, you have to go to Wolfgang's Oscar party at the end of the
2: ceremony. And how do you decide on the dishes uh, when you create for the Oscars? What's the, the creative process and the decisions? You know,
0: at the end, I know what these people eat, because they're customers of
2: ours for 30, okay. 40 years. So
0: it's really easy, but they always want to taste what we're going to cook, the ampass the, the people who organize it, you know So we always do a tasting, and then I cook whatever I want. <laughs> so like we have a restaurant, uh, Spago in Istanbul. So I have the chef from Istanbul come and he does a Turkish dish. I had this year the chef from our restaurant, Cut in London, come and he made beef wellington and fish and chips, something British. And I remember the guy, Brandon, who won for best actor. He was staying there eating fish and chips and uh, talking to him. And my chef from London, Elliot, was so excited. He said, can you believe I met somebody who won an Oscar and he's eating my fish and chips. So the same thing we're going to do by next year, we figure out a Saudi dish here which we're going to make our style and maybe bring one chef here from Spargo to Los Angeles to do the Oscars with us. Because it's a great experience for the chefs to, you know, to get out of their country, get out of their city and move uh, for a week or so to Los Angeles and
2: then see what's going on. And you're celebrating and you're bridging different cultures and different cuisines, which is actually... It seems like it's very much part of your ethos, uh, Mr. Wolfgang. Totally. I
0: really think I want to bring world peace through food, you know. (laughs) It seems like it to me, you know. I know it won't happen that easy. But, you know, in the old time, when uh, the French king or somebody went to Russia, he brought his chef with him. They brought their champagne with them, their wine with them, and then they cooked, and then they talked about politics, what they're going to do here we don't do that anymore now people don't want to take the time to actually sit down
2: and enjoy each other's company uh, tell me mr sinan uh, will uh, any of the, the young uh, you know experts uh, Gordon blue graduates have the opportunity to train uh, under mr wolfgang or even dream about doing that in the, in the future
1: absolutely we we already work we we have Uh, A lot of young chefs males females working in the kitchens almost in every kitchen
2: provided Mr. Wolfgang, of course uh Of course, Uh, we're we're
1: actually already working with the Ministry of uh, Tourism on support programs of what can we do to send people to Extensive training programs to see what it's like the industry did not exist in Saudi many years ago fine dining per se as an industry so People don't know what it takes to run a fine dining establishment. Uh, We don't have schools that teach that yet. We don't have the infrastructure. So the only way to do it is to go with our partners and and send people to train and work and and really know what it takes to run a fine dining uh, restaurant. It's not easy. uh, It's actually a lot of hard work, a lot of creativity, a lot of consistency, and they'll only learn that through seeing it firsthand. So, yes, we already work with a lot of our partners to start preparing for that and uh, that's the only way to go. Saudis need to be running those kitchens in a few years' time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's very important also that they gain international experience. Like if the chef here is going to tell me, you know, Wolfgang, I have Mohammed. He wants to come over to Los Angeles. He is really eager to learn. He's really passionate about food. We can get the visa and they can spend a year with us in Los Angeles. And come to Spargo, maybe come to cut uh, or Chinois, or maybe learn about catering. I know catering is very big here. So I think I want them to learn as much as possible. That's what I did with my own son, Byron. You know, he went to Cornell at a famous hospitality school. And then he worked in great restaurants, like from Guy Savoie to the Roca Brothers to Steirach uh, uh, in Vienna or Beaumannier, where I used to work. My, can you believe... 50 years ago, as a 19-year-old, I worked in a restaurant in South of France. And the owner at at that time was 72 years old and very passionate. And he actually, uh, I think, gave me the passion and showed me what what a restaurant can be. And now, 50 years later, I sent my son there his grandson is running the restaurant, and he's also 70 years old. So I said, this is like the amazing story, you know, to see how we bond together. And we became very friend, good friends with Jean-André at Beaumaniere. So it's really nice to be able to get young people interested, to show young people how exciting our profession can be
2: we will definitely that, take yes. you up on that. Yeah. yeah. Yes, so will <laughs> send you a few Mohammeds, not just one. Yeah, <laughs> easy. And to <laughs> all young chefs, you have this opportunity. So uh, yeah. make sure you look into it. You know? um, totally. You know,
0: opportunities are like if you're on a train station. You know, if you have 10 trains, if you don't hop on one, you're going to stay home all your life. But you have to take the chances, take a train somewhere or take the plane somewhere and experience what the
2: world is like. And um, may I know, Mr. Wolfgang, who are the people that inspired you initially when you started, who are the... So it was
0: interesting because I started very badly. You know, my stepfather was terrible. My mother was a chef, she was an angel, but my stepfather was the worst. Very abusive physically and emotionally, mentally and everything. He always, when I was 14, 13 years old, he always told me I was good for nothing. He said, you're good for nothing, you're good for nothing. And I used to be so angry, but I couldn't do nothing. He was the big guy and, you know. And uh, uh, when I left, at 14, I left my house. I didn't go to high school. And then I worked in this uh, uh, hotel in Villach in, uh, in Austria. And the chef was a little bit like my stepfather, crazy drunk all the time. And one day we ran out of potatoes and he, they blamed me. I was there for two months. You know, I was 14 years old and, that I, and uh, he called me to his office and said, you're good for nothing. Go back home to your father. And I told my father, I will never come home. I, if I come home one day, I'm going to have a Mercedes and I'm going to drive it through your front door and into the living room because I was so angry. And then the chef calls me over and says, you know, you're fired, go back home. And that was probably my worst day in my life because I was standing on a bridge over the river and I said, I'm going to jump in the river. You know, this is, I'm not going home. And then like after looking down for half an hour, all of a sudden it comes to my mind, I said, I'm going to go back tomorrow. Maybe he was drunk, maybe he didn't mean it or whatever. So I go back the next day, the next day early in the morning And the apprentice who was ahead of me was all excited because he didn't have to peel potatoes and onions and do all that thing. He hid me in the vegetable cellar and I was peeling potatoes and everything. And one day the chef comes down and said, what are you doing here? He screamed at me, grab me and get out of here. And I I grabbed my potato bag, says, I'm not leaving, I'm not leaving. (laughs) I just screamed, you know, I was so nervous. And then he called the owner of the hotel And the owner said, okay, if he doesn't really want to leave, we'll send him to the other hotel beyond. They own two little hotels in town. And over there, we had a lady chef, and she was really much nicer. She said, just be quiet, and everything will be fine. And sure enough, uh, I did my apprenticeship. When I was 17, I went to France, and I worked in a one star restaurant in one star Guide Michelin. And then I found out they have two or three stars. So I found one restaurant, Beaumaniere, who accepted me. I wrote to every restaurant, but he was maybe the 15th. And I said, OK, come on in April, I think it was. And I started there. And Mr. Thulier, to me, was the greatest inspiration. And, you know, sometimes young people have to find a mentor or somebody who inspires them. And he was so passionate about the food. Like he had six gardeners who brought the best vegetables, strawberries, melons, you name it. And then uh, uh, the same thing, It was close to Marseille, so the fish came every day from Marseille, fresh. And then on top of it, he had the customers who came to the restaurant. He brought them in the kitchen. I remember one day, he walked in with Picasso. I said, wow, And I was making a duck sauce, and we made it red, and Picasso looked into it and says, oh, what are you making? And then he had so red, you know? And then uh, uh, like one... Uh, even artists can get inspiration from your dishes. Yeah, and one time he came in and uh, brought Elizabeth Taylor. And, you know, she was amazing looking. And there's this young voice, oh, my God, I want to be like him. (laughs) And so he really was so passionate. He was at the restaurant every day, but he really liked me because I wasn't scared of him or whatever. Like we were making the sauces. And uh, when I was making a sauce and he tasted it and says, "Okay." Put a little salt, a little pepper. And then when he made something, he said, okay, taste my sauce. I tasted. it. I said, oh, put a little lemon juice and a little salt. And he really said, okay. And he liked it because I didn't taste it and said, oh, it's so delicious. You know, I had my own opinion. I wasn't worried. And so he, I spent two and a half years there. And that was really the turning point in my professional life.
1: Did you ever drive the Mercedes into the house?
0: No, but I sent him one.
1: <laughs> yeah, I sent it to my sister, not to him. I said, right. I had a Mercedes.
0: I was stupid. I should have bought one in Germany. We are close to Germany, but I shipped mine from L.A. So.
2: All right. It's amazing how mentorship can, can uh, build and, and bridge and make things flourish, you know, and look at where you are now and... It's very, a very impressive story, uh, Mr. Sinan. Um, we're also very impressed by what you have created, and we commend you and we congratulate you uh, uh, on so many levels uh, because it's nice to be able to see this kind of excellence
1: uh, in KC. Uh, who, who inspired you? I wish I had a, as good of a story. Uh, I, I, I I really think that the inspiration comes from the amount of support, the change—it was that's happening around us. So I can't pin it to a person. I can pin it to the environment. I see that uh, Saudi is a white canvas when it comes to tourism. Saudi is a country of amazing landscapes. I can't think of another place that has desert, sea, mountain, urban. We've got all the landscapes, but we don't have the infrastructure to do that. Um, I believe Saudi hospitality is unmatched anywhere in the world. I tell most of my foreign friends, if you get lost in the desert in Saudi, the chances of dying of overfeeding are much bigger than dying of starvation. (laughs) So I I always think about when you come to Saudi, doors are open, people bring you into their homes. It's a very welcoming country. So if we want to become a tourism-based economy, commercializing Saudi hospitality is the way to go. I mean, it's natural. It comes naturally to everyone. So you called me CEO earlier, but my actual title is chief host. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's my job, whether it's in the restaurants or the hotels or the recreation businesses we own, is is really for everyone needs to know that their job is to be a host. You need to welcome the person, whether you're at the reception, the kitchen, or a waiter. That's that's what we do. And as uh, Chef Wolfgang said, it's it's about the environment, how you feel. How, it's not about food or decoration, or it's really about how we make you feel when you come into our restaurant or our establishment. So my inspiration is the potential, is, is what can be done, what can happen, and the vision of Saudi Arabia overall. You
2: were talking about how uh, it's important for one to be hands-on in the kitchen in front of the... Uh... Yeah. Um, I think that this is also a movement that I'm starting to see uh, more in KC, I'm seeing more Saudis uh, working uh, in service, I'm seeing more Saudis working as chefs uh, and uh, it's great to see this movement being taken and it, it changes the whole narrative uh, on what, how far we can go and what we can achieve and also our, our perception. Um, but I have a specific question that I usually ask my guests. I hope you don't mind. Uh, and it's, um, I have this uh, agency, it's called Authenticity. And what we want to do is we want to capture the authentic, um, and authentic people like yourselves. Uh, but we're honored to be having this opportunity today to talk about it. But the question is, what is authenticity to you, um, Mr. Wolfgang? I think to me, authenticity is believing
0: in yourself and being yourself, not trying to be somebody you are not, you know. And we are in the hospitality business, and you know, that's who I am really, you know. Yes, I am a father, I have children, and people ask me, well, is that the most important? Yes, it is the most important thing to be a good husband and be a good father. And if one day I have a tombstone, I didn't, uh, I don't want them to write on it and say Wolfgang made a smoked salmon pizza for <laughs> Joan uh, Collins, you know. I much rather say that my kids say he was a good father and my wife said, hey, he was a pretty good husband, maybe. But I think going back to your question, when you talked to Sinan, it came to me. You know, you need people uh, like Sinan and Tal who have a vision, who think not only for them, but how to make the place a better place. To make a place great, you have to make people happy. And there is no better place than a restaurant
1: to make people happy. So from, from our side, um, it's my first time working in the restaurant world, so I'm a, I'm a lot more familiar with concrete than I am with cheese and meat as a previous developer. So when we started our you process- You were real estate before, right? Yes, So when we started our process, uh, employee number two was chief of HR, who also comes from the health sector. And when we started looking for people, we realized we need 1,500 people in a very short amount of time. So how do we filter them? How do we meet them? And our number one uh, trait that we looked for was empathy. We needed people that can naturally put on a big smile, naturally welcome people, and they want to be there. So we actually went through psychometric testing, to test for empathy, make sure that it's, uh, they're natural, they want to be there, they're happy to be there, and they're welcoming. That is what, that's their personality. Everything else they can learn, industry they can learn. Yeah, I tell
0: everybody, you know, it's how to teach somebody to smile if they don't want to smile. They walk around with a long face and everything, but it's easy to teach somebody who is smiling, who is, seems happy, To teach them techniques. That's very easy. But to teach them to have empathy, to teach them to smile and welcome people and be really hospitable to the guests and make them feel great. You know, you want to feel good. If I go buy a pair of jeans or I go to a restaurant, it doesn't matter. You can get everything online these days. So when people come to our restaurant, We have to make sure that they have the time of their life when they go out and say, I can't wait to
2: come back. Uh, Passion, I think is is, uh, an essential part that kind of also brings all of them together. And uh, like you had mentioned, uh, I think that if if someone is not in the headspace or if someone's not into it, then it's pointless, you know? Find that passion and then uh, build it and cultivate
1: it. And uh, this is what I'm seeing here. People always say you have to love what you do. You hear it a lot, but not a lot of people do it. In this industry, it's a must. It's not optional. You have to have people that love what they do. Otherwise it just doesn't work. Uh, uh, In every (laughs) every other economy, uh, you have a lot of people that transition. They come, they spend a bit of time, they make a bit of money and they move on. In Saudi that doesn't exist. People do it for a career almost. 99% of people do it for a career. So we're still evolving and and that becomes crucial for the success. So as Chef Wolfgang said, people have to walk away feeling wow. They need to start planning their next visit as they walk out the door. That's how we we think about hospitality here. Absolutely.
2: And uh, last question, I promise I will not uh, bother you anymore. Uh, What is authenticity
1: to you? Look, authenticity to me, Saudi is, a, is very much a me too culture. If you open a restaurant that sells a very specific kind of fish, 10 more restaurants will open next to you. So people see success, they try to replicate it. In every industry, I think, especially when it comes to small and medium businesses. So authenticity to me is continuing to stay creative, innovative, and always one step ahead. Without that creativity, somebody else will come and try to do what you do. So when I, when I think authenticity in our industry, it's, it's that creativity that Wolfgang mentioned. It's having somebody that can go to the market and create something out of, uh, out of nothing, out of uh, an idea, a concept, perfecting it and doing it. You know, a few months down the line, somebody will try to do it. That's why that process is a continuous improvement on what you do. Authenticity is not defined. Authenticity is a movement, something that you continue to do to stay authentic because whatever was authentic last year might not be this year. You're definitely setting a new benchmark
2: and elevating the bar on so many levels. We're very proud of you and Mr. Wolfgang, we're so honored to have you in Saudi Arabia. It's such a pleasure to have you here. We're all very excited to see this new step, Uh, incredible new steps taken in culinary and excellence. So welcome to Saudi Arabia, and I look forward to uh, meeting you both again soon. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on this podcast. Thank mm-hmm. you very much. Well, next time we're going to have some food on the table, I think. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Instead of just talking. <laughs> I look forward uh, to it. But love. it's my pleasure to
0: be here. I think uh, I love Saudi because of the people. You know, sand we have in LA too, if you drive 50 miles outside. But the people here are really special, so I love to come here.
1: And I, I personally would like to thank you and, of course, Jeff Woolgang for, uh, for being here. This is, it's an honor for all of us to be in this place today. I remember when we discussed this uh, almost two years ago, yeah. it was an idea. Now, today, we're here feeding customers on a daily basis. It, 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 it's very inspiring to yeah. be sitting on this table today. Sky's the limit,
2: and I, can, I only look forward to seeing, the, the, you know, uh, learning about the dishes that you're creating that are localized, and seeing this kind of uh, movement for KSA as well, which is incredible, because what you're doing is you're, you're championing uh, our creative, you're championing yeah. our talent as well. So it's not just, uh, it's, it's an entire movement that we all appreciate and uh, shows the 2030 vision and the progress that's happening. So thank you again very much. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you. Much. Thank you.
0: You want to feel good. If I go buy a pair of jeans or I go to a restaurant, it doesn't matter. You can get everything online. So when people come to our restaurant, we have to make sure that they have the time of their life when they go out and say, I can't wait to come back.
1: People always say you have to love what you do. You hear it a lot, but not a lot of people do it. In this industry, it's a must. It's not optional, otherwise it just doesn't work. Saudis working uh, in service, it's great
2: to see this movement being at it. It changes the whole narrative, how far we can go and what we can achieve and also our, our perception.